0: It's great to be here and see so many familiar faces and meet a lot of new folks since we've been here. It's awesome to have my wife, Cindy, sitting in the front row. Cindy, will you stand up, please? (laughs) (laughs) And Pastor Stan, I love him and Karen. We just are such dear friends, our families now for over 20 years. And uh, I'm so sanctified, proud of you guys and what you're accomplishing here and I drive up on this campus, and it's just neat to see and to speak at the Christian school here on Friday and see the hunger and the openness of the students. It was, it was a great time. If you have a Bible, I'd like you to open it to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 29. You can read on the overhead if you would like. It says, there are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered. My wife said my hairs are getting more numbered because my hair is really long. She thinks I'm lost in the eighties, but <laughs> Stacey told me I look younger, so that made me feel good. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Luke twelve, six, who said, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered. Don't be afraid you're worth more than many sparrows. Notice it says numbered. didn't say counted. Counted is chance, numbered is purpose. The hairs of your head are numbered. Matthew 10, 29 are not two sparrows sold for a penny. Luke 12, 6 says there are not five sparrows sold for two pennies. If two sparrows are sold for a penny, how many should two pennies buy? Four. I graduated from a major college. But he said in Luke, five are sold for two pennies. We have a fifth sparrow. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. The fifth sparrow. Let's pray. Father, help in Jesus' name. Amen. How many know if I haven't prayed before I got here? There's no use in me praying a long prayer to impress you this morning. In Bible days, they would sell sparrows in the marketplace. Roasted sparrows. If you bought Four sparrows, they threw in a fifth one for free. It's like a baker's dozen. You buy 12 donuts, they throw in an extra one. The fifth sparrow was thrown in as part of a bargain basement deal. It didn't count. It was a reject. It was worthless. As far as the shopkeeper was concerned, it didn't have value. It didn't have value. If If the price of an object is measured the the value of an object is measured by the price that's paid for it think about you when it came to your soul god didn't deal in pennies and he didn't deal in sparrows he sent heaven's best if the value of an object is measured by the price that's paid for it i certainly understand that when i go shopping with my wife in which i don't like but i do when when I I go because I like to go if I get to buy things for me but if I'm just totally buying things for her it, it, I get I get tired quick <laughs> because it's like if if I'm shopping I want to go into the store and get what she wants. And I'm one of those people, if I'm going to buy cologne, I know what cologne I want. I go in and pick my cologne up. If I buy sunglasses, I know exactly what kind of sunglasses. Those are my two vices, by the way, cologne and sunglasses. So, so I, um, I know what I want. and I'm going to go in and buy it. But if, with her, if it's a blouse, for an example, what, what size? Medium. What color? Blue. And we go in the store and I'm like, there's a blue one. It's really nice. Let's get it. She goes, no, I want to try it on. Then she tries it on. Then she tries another one on. Then she tries another one on. Then she decides she wants to go down the, the mall and try on some boots. And now, now we're everywhere in the mall trying stuff on. And we still haven't got a blouse. And I, I need a blouse. Bad. I'm like, I need a blouse. As a matter of fact, after she's tried all the blouses, I don't care how much they cost. I'm like, get that blouse right now. Get it. Get me one. (laughs) The other thing that I don't like is garage sales. Now, if you like garage sales, please, I'm not picking on you. I'm not being mean. They're just not for me. And I remember she bought some encyclopedias, and she had me go pick them up. And I had to get out of the car. I had sunglasses on, my disguise, a hat. And I'm walking up, picking up (laughs) encyclopedias, putting them in the trunk, driving off. And so, uh, she decided we were going to have one. Our daughter was going away from YWAM, and that we were going to have a garage sale. It was really funny because we're selling all this stuff, and people are showing up. And um, I remember she was so funny because she had a blouse, and in this blouse she really liked. And she was, and Cindy's Lebanese, and I'm not making fun of any people that have an Arab background, but she is very frugal. She wouldn't let this blouse go. Her and this lady are haggling over this blouse. I'm like, sell it to her for whatever. It was embarrassing. I'm like, here lady, you can take it. Please, Cindy. It was the principle of the thing. If the value of an object is measured by the price, it's paid for it. Look what's paid for you. Do you realize we serve a God who goes to the funeral of every sparrow? God never misses one. How much do you mean to him if he would never miss a sparrow's funeral, if he would see every sparrow that falls? I know the rejection that you have faced. I I don't know how low your self-esteem or how low your self-respect is, but you count to God. He said not one of these sparrows is forgotten. It's one thing for a sparrow to fall and for God to say, I see him fall. It's another thing for God to go to his funeral. But wait a minute, time out. He said, I never will forget them. How many billions of sparrows have lived since the dawn of creation? And God said, I can point my finger and show you where every one of them fell. Where every one of them is buried. But he says, I won't forget them. Don't you know that you mean more to me than sparrows? Sparrows. How many people today feel like they're a fifth sparrow? They feel like they don't count. And one of the main reasons is rejection. One of the deepest wounds that we can experience as human beings is the wound of being rejected. There are many things that tear at our hearts and leave us broken and wounded. And if we could lift the lid off this audience, there would be many people here with broken hearts because of rejection. Remember the teams were being picked on the playground and you were not... Picked at all. As a matter of fact, you weren't even invited to play in the game. And you felt like nobody wanted you. Remember your friend's wedding where everyone got an invitation, but you were the only one that didn't? The important meeting that everyone with clout at the office was invited to, but you didn't even know there was a meeting until it was over. The office secret that everyone knew about, but nobody told you. Then there are those that scream out from our childhood, sexually abused, verbally abused, physically abused, emotionally abused that make us feel rejected and like fish sparrows. You don't feel that anybody can love you or accept you. Then you come into your adulthood and it's shaped by your attempts to flee from the rejection of your past. The one person in the entire world that wanted you and you wanted them and you wanted that love from them and they walked out on you, rejected you and you've had a broken heart ever since. The day you discovered your mate had an affair. Your children have risen up against you. And maybe you've known rejection because of the color of your skin, or the stab in the back of a so-called friend that was a believer. In a group of this size, every shade of rejection is reflected here. If we were to allow rejection to take hold in our hearts and send down inside of us roots of bitterness and self-pity, then we live in fear we're going to be rejected again and again. And we'll be crippled in all of our relationships. And we're going to be paralyzed and come to the full potential of who we are as human beings. The good news is he heals the brokenhearted. He heals those that have been trashed at the very center of their being. There's one thing that trashes us the very center of our being. It's rejection. When we ask the question, why do people reject us? Number one, they've been rejected and hurt and therefore that's all they know how to give. People can't give what has never been given to them. Two, because they're jealous of you. A person that settles in mediocrity is threatened by a person with success. Three, misunderstood. They don't have the full truth about you. Your circumstances or surrounding that's taking place. Politics, people pursuing their own agendas, even in the church. Rejection is not merely in what people say or do. If rejection is in what people say or do to us, then I don't have an answer for you. Because people will say and do things the rest of our lives. So rejection is not in the words or actions people display toward us. I wanna make this point very clear. Rejection is in the deep pain that is triggered inside of me by the flood of shame and sense of unworthiness. Feelings that I'm unlovable when people reject me. Rejection is not in what they say or do, rejection is in the pain and shame that comes when they do it. We'll say it again. Rejection is not in what they say or do, rejection is in the pain and shame that comes. When they do it. That's why they say what they said. Do what they did. I feel I'm not worthy of human companionship when that happens. I feel unlovable. That's why they didn't invite me to the wedding. They didn't say it, but inside that triggers a pain. That's why I wasn't invited to the meeting. I wasn't worth asking. Did I also hear, even though they didn't say it, that life would be... So much better if I wasn't there. Your mind starts going and you hear things like, you you don't belong here anyway. That's what they're saying, aren't they? Although they didn't say it. The sooner you leave here, the better is what you're feeling. No one said it, but you feel it. And you can continue to the point where people make statements like, it would be better if I wasn't even here. Things would be better off and easier on my family if I wasn't even alive. And I want to make this statement very clear to you. There are a lot of people who don't like me, but that doesn't mean I'm unlikable. There's a lot of people that don't like me, but that doesn't mean I'm unlikable. If you really knew me and you got to know it, you'd like me. But if a person that I love and value says I'm not lovable to them, it goes deep and comes out as rejection. They have a frown on their face. You hear people live their lives this way. That that person has a frown on their face. I must have done something wrong. Some of you go to work every day on eggshells for fear that you're going to upset a boss. And you, you try to read minds. What did I do? The truth is sometimes we're obsessed with ourselves. They aren't even thinking about you. Maybe they're having a bad day. Or maybe they're just mean by nature. So, what happens is self pity sets in, and we don't want anyone to get close. Or you hear people say things like, I'm gonna go off by myself. I don't need anybody. You can go off to a desert island, you'll take your broken, rejected heart with you. Well, I'll never love again. I'm just gonna be by myself. I'll be by myself. I'm fine by myself. I like myself. I'm fine. I'm okay by myself. How many know you can be by yourself in a coffin? You withdraw, so you say things like, I'm going to get revenge. And that only establishes you in your brokenness. So what's the answer? The answer is allowing the Holy Spirit to heal you. And I want to make a statement also that, that is very important for you to grasp. And you may not believe it, but it's okay for you to be wrong. <laughs> Donnie? What if the person that left me came back into my life and said they were sorry? Would that make everything okay? Yeah, but it's not going to heal you. The person that hurt me cannot heal me. See, they've uncovered something. There's something that's been uncovered in your life that only God can heal. Only He can heal. It's only the unconditional, infinite love of God poured out of my heart that can heal what has been uncovered. The acceptance I crave, the worth and identity I want to experience, the love of God that I long for is exactly what I need to overcome the feelings of rejection. You can't get your significance from people, not the kind you're seeking. You never will. The reason you hurt so deeply when another being rejects you is because you're trying to milk out of them acceptance, love, and worth, and significance. So when they reject you, you feel like you've lost your acceptance, your love, your worth, and your significance. And you were never meant to get that from a human being. You can only get that from God. See, when when God created Adam, he wasn't him. He was created male and female together. One. We say God created man, then he took woman out of him, like... There's this picture visually we have from Sunday school, many of you, that that Adam was asleep. By the way, don't go to sleep when God's working. Adam went to sleep single and woke up married. (laughs) But he just grabbed this rib and then he made a woman. That's not strictly true. The woman was in him. It wasn't just man and God took the rib physically. The word in the Hebrew also means side in a more spiritual way. I can say there's a side of Pastor Stan Russell you've never seen. There there was a side of Adam that was female. So when God created mankind, he stood there as one person. That's strange. Why, Why would God do that? He made the monkeys. It was Mr. and Mrs. Monkey. And they trotted out into the forest to find their fulfillment in each other. When he created the duck, he made the organ ducks. No, he... <laughs> <laughs> he made a male and female duck. When it came to every other animal, he made two. But it came to man, he made one. Male and female mixed together. Why did he do that? Because every other creature had a mate. But God created mankind without a mate. You know why? Because man needed to come to the realization that God was his mate. Ducks had ducks, monkeys had monkeys, mankind has God. It's only when that is established that man's deepest needs in terms of companionship are met in his creator. Only then did God say, it's not good for man to be alone socially. So he took the feminine side of of Adam and created a woman, man ish, ish ah, my woman. Them coming together is not complete wholeness without Him. So your deepest needs cannot be met by your mate, they can only be met by God. And you see, after the fall, what we did is we turned to one another to meet our needs. That's why when we go to heaven, there's not going to be giving in marriage. Because you return to your original mate. To God. Man had to learn that. And we're still learning that. Our deepest needs are not going to be met in each other. But in God. And I say to every one of you that are married or single, your mate is God. God Who loves you and came in the form of Jesus Christ is now closer to you ever in the power of the Holy Spirit. Until you know that, anyone can trample over you, reject you, and make you feel unashamed, unworthy, because they're looking to another human being to get what you can only get from God. And if that human being ever came back, like I said, they'd only put a band-aid over the problem. You have to realize you are created for unconditional love and that lives and dwells in the heart of God alone. We are healed when we turn to God. Our true identity is found in Him. And so much of my life, I didn't know that. I, I thought I had to draw it out of Cindy that I was going to get my significance and my worth and my value from her. I don't know if you can relate to that. If you don't know who you are, then you turn to another human being in their acceptance and love for you. And if they turn from you, your acceptance and love is gone too. Your identity can only be given to you by the person who invented you. Think about that. Your identity can only be given to you by the person that invented you. He is the original person in whose identity you were made until you receive his love. You have no identity. You have the identity that anybody wants to give you. So what everybody says about you growing up and whatever label they put on you and however they identify you, you believe and you become that. Thank God for Christian counselors. But unless they connect me to the unconditional love of God, because by themselves they can't help me, I'll still be in counseling 10 years from now. They've got to connect me to God. If I'm not connected to God, then I can't be whole. I can't be healed. You're talking about being free from peer pressure, young students that are here this morning? When you see your worth, your value, you're loved by God Your significance is in Him, then you don't care what people think. Because if God accepts me and loves me, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks of me. I'm gonna try this side over here. You guys look friendlier. I said, (laughs) if God loves me, accepts me, and His unconditional love is for me, who cares what anybody else thinks? Pastor Stan and I were talking about this. It's so true of our culture you got to be the best. you got to be number one. There's a difference between being the best and doing your best. God wants us to do our best in every area of life. And if you give him your best, that's all you can give. But we got to be number one. Well, how long are you going to be number one? I mean, think about it. It's ridiculous, it's silly, it's, it's absurd, the way people run around trying to be something they were created to be. If you receive his love, his healing, now you can give the person that rejected you forgiveness. Forgiveness is the threshold of your new life. Well, say it again. Forgiveness is the threshold of your new life. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. There are some people I will not be reconciled to this side of heaven, but I've forgiven them a long time ago. This school on this campus is blessed with some great coaches and great teachers and faculty. But when I played college football, there was one coach that did not like me. I didn't like him. He was not very truthful to me. And any time any scouts came around to even look at me, he would say, don't look at him, he's a head case, he's this, he's that. He would label me. And I had great bitterness toward him. And when I became a Christian, he was the first person that I had to forgive. And God made it very clear to me to go to him and ask for forgiveness. And you know what I did? I went to him, and I asked him to forgive me for the bitterness I had in my heart toward him. And he just looked at me and said, okay. I mean, I walked away with tears in my eyes, Released from forgiving him because when you forgive someone it doesn't mean you agree with what they've done to you it Just means I released it. He rejected me in school he, he, he didn't want anything to do with me and that hurt as a young man. That, that was very difficult for me to deal with But last year when he was on his deathbed and he was dying. I hadn't seen him in some 20 some years He told one of his former players a good friend of mine who travels with me darwin he said, I want to see Donnie. I told Darwin, I said, Darwin, I made things right with him. I've forgiven him. Forgiveness in plain English is to release, to release them to God. They're no longer in my hands for judgment or mercy. I put them in the hands of God. I've forgiven him. I released him. Haven't lived or thought about it since. Of let it go. But now to go visit him, why do I need to go visit him, Darwin? He said, because he's dying, and he asked for you. I said, okay, I'll go if you go with me. So we went. And we came into his room. He was sitting up in his bed and looking out the window. And I sat down, and he looked over at me, and he said, hi. And I said, hi, coach. And Darwin looked at him, and Darwin said, it's the fourth quarter, coach. What play are you going to call? And I'll never forget his response. He said, "Uh, quarterback sneak. And Darwin said, wrong call, coach. He said, let me give you the right call. And he began to share with our coach how he came to Christ and how I led him to Christ. And he said, Donnie led me to Christ. Now Donnie's going to lead you to Christ. I turned to him and explained the plan of salvation and took him by the hand. I said, coach, you're ready. He said, I'm ready. Tears running down our cheeks, all of us in the room. I led him to Christ. He passed a few weeks after that, went to heaven. It was a great feeling. I'm so glad I forgave him. So glad I let him go and then had the thrill of leading him to Christ. We're in the process of learning that our love, acceptance, and security and identity, our worth are found in God, not a human being. He satisfies you with his loving kindness. So I don't have to go through life feeling rejected. However... I'm going to be realistic. I understand that I live in a fallen world where people will hurt me. But ultimately, they cannot reject me. Because if God accepts me, who can ultimately reject me? When God puts His love around me, I can't be devastated with the withdrawal of human love. I can be sad, but not devastated. Some people that have left us, walked out on us, are very significant to us. A husband, a wife, a good friend, a business associate, even our own children. In life, we'll encounter some tough situations, even painful. And we need a time of mourning. We can can mourn those relationships, but we can't let them devastate us because God is for me. Who can be against me? If God values me, loves me, and there I find my significance and my worth and my, my self-esteem, it doesn't matter what other people say or do. Man, it sets you free. So many pastors, as Kenny comes, I know friends of mine that have gone in the ministry because they draw out of their people their acceptance, and their worth, and their their value. They're going to tell me I had a a good sermon this week, and am am I doing enough counseling, and am am I getting enough, and they're getting their value and their worth from their people. I can honestly say, I, I preached in the early years of ministry. I wanted to hear, good job, you did terrific, and I still thank God for people that come up to me and, and say your mini- message ministered to me, but I don't live for that anymore because I can't find my value, my worth in, in what you say about me. I, I have to pray and, and let God speak to me and preach what He gives me. But, but it can come in so many ways. We can volunteer for the wrong reasons because we, we're getting our, what, our worth, our identity out of doing for the church, and I, I've got to do that, and I, you can't say no although you want to say no. It's like the guy that comes up to pastor and says, you know, pastor, I I, I just bought a suit. Is this suit okay? Can I wear this to church? Do you think it would be okay for me to wear it to church? And you know, you know pastor, I, I drive a whole car and my car's kind of beat up and I, I, I'm almost embarrassed for, for people to see my car. And, and I live in a neighborhood and it's not a very nice neighborhood. As a matter of fact, our house is kind of old, and, and we, we don't have new furniture. Our furniture is is, is not really nice, and you probably wouldn't want to come to my house. And, and you know, we had the potluck, potluck at, at, at church last week, and my wife, she, she made a nice meal and no one ate it, and um, where, where does it stop? We're, we're, we get into self-pity, and no one cares, and no one values me, and... and, and we can almost fall into the trap where we're living with a spirit of rejection in our lives of what people are going to say or think or do. Instead of saying, this is who God's created me to be. And, and my value and my worth and my significance is in Him. So it takes us back to the Word of God and what I said earlier The value of an object is measured by the price that's paid for it. You're not a fifth sparrow. How valuable are you? What was the price that was paid for you? God put a price on you so high he couldn't be outbid. When it came to your soul, he didn't deal in pennies or he didn't deal in sparrows. He sent heaven's best. First Peter says it this way. 18 and 19, for you know that it was not with, with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. That word redeemed wasn't with silver or gold that you were redeemed. Redeemed to buy back, to to dissolve. The the root word is when, when God redeemed us is He removed our sin. The old covenant, it says He covered our sin. You know, you can, you can cover that speaker up with a blanket, but you can still see the speaker. In the old covenant, it brought some degree of relationship with God because their sin was covered. When they sacrificed animals and there was a blood sacrifice, our sin was covered. Well, in the New Testament, it's removed, obliterated, dissolved. So when the devil comes to you and says, remember when you, and you said, no, I didn't do that. Legally, you have a right. <laughs> I mean you think about forgiveness and then he goes on and says redeemed from the empty life handed down to you from your forefathers every twist, every every bent everything that was handed down from your forefathers he took it to the cross your sin and iniquity everything at the cross and you hear people make the statement well the old man rises up sometimes in me referring to how they were before they were saved, but really that's okay. But the old man was really Adam. We were born in the race of Adam. And when you become a Christian, you don't just come forward and sign a card and say a prayer. You join a new race. That's why it says when somebody comes to Christ, they're a new species of being, a new creation. You have switched races. (laughs) I'll come back and preach that some other time. You, You... You have no idea of how God sees you. You're not a fifth sparrow. You're not a throwaway. You're of great value. So when it says, what would profit a man if they gain the whole world, yet they lose their soul? I like the NIV translation. It says, if they gain the whole world, yet they forfeit themselves. The value of you brought Jesus from the splendor of heaven to be born in a manger. The value of you drove him to Gethsemane. The value of you allowed Jesus to be beaten, sped upon, and mocked. And for the value of you, Jesus hung on a cruel Roman cross with spikes driven through his hands and his feet. And for the value of you, Jesus not only faced death, he defeated it. Jesus came because God values you. How valuable are you? What are you worth? Ha, you're worth the precious blood of Jesus. Heaven is best. God didn't put low blue book on you. He put high blue book. When I came to you, he didn't deal in pennies. He didn't deal in sparrows. And he says, don't you know you mean more to me than sparrows? Every one of you at the sound of my voice have faced somewhere in life rejection. Every one of us have come to a place where a person has rejected us. Some of us gone through divorce. Some of us have, have grown up with a dad that we could never please. We just felt constant rejection from him. I remember going out when I was in seventh grade for the eighth grade boys basketball team and I got cut. I was fairly good in football and, and baseball, but I wasn't a very good basketball player. <laughs> but I remember going out for the eighth grade boys. I was only in the seventh grade and I didn't make it and I saw the list on the wall and my name wasn't there. And I remember walking home that day and just feeling the sting of rejection. Maybe, maybe yours wasn't in athletics, Maybe it was in the academic realm where you were striving for, for grades and you, you, you wanted that grade and you pushed and you studied and you, you prepared yourself and it just didn't work out. Maybe you were turned down by some institution or somewhere in your life you, you, you felt that rejection. And some of you women in here have felt it since your childhood. Felt like you could never live up and never, never get to that place where you got the approval of that adult in your life that you were seeking. We, we struggle with that and, and some of us today carry that rejection into relationships that we have. And so here I am with Cindy, you know, trying to draw out of her significance and out of her and her, her giving me that value that I never got from my father. That, that significance, that sense of you got what it takes. Man, it wore her out. And finally, one day, God spoke to me about His unconditional love and said, "Donnie, you can't give it to your wife, or your children, because you won't let me give it to you." And out of that encounter, where God began to pour out into my heart His unconditional love, He began to show me this rejection thing that is in so many people, and it's a direct result of them not understanding their worth and value and significance in God, because if God accepts me, if God values me, now I get my deepest needs met out of Him, and it's caused her to be drawn more to me because I'm not wearing her out. We, we can't look to our spouses to meet our every need And some of us do that, and it has created frustration in our marriages. Thank God for our marriages, and needs are met there. But my ultimate need is in Him. And when He meets that need, I can turn and not just lead, but help meet her need as the husband in the home.